This is an Interstellar Network News special report. There's something far worse than the shadows. Reporters. Hey, that's private property. We've got rights here. What you're gonna have is my foot 16 inches up your butt if you don't get the hell out of my way. You crazy? I'm gonna file a report with your superior officer. Well, you do that, sunshine. Ramirez, check the box. Yes, sir. Good shot, chief. Well, don't say that until you know what I was aiming at. Commander, did you threaten to grab a hold of this man by the collar and throw him out an airlock? Yes, I did. I'm shocked. Shocked and dismayed. I'd remind you that we are short on supplies here. We can't afford to take perfectly good clothing and throw it out into space. Always take the jacket off first. I've told you that before. Sorry, she meant to say stripped naked and thrown out an airlock. I apologize for any confusion this may have caused. The heart does not recognize boundaries on a map or wars or political policies. The heart does. Yes, the heart does. An exclusive look inside Babylon 5. Find out what the future holds for Captain Sheridan and his renegade crew. Nothing will be able to stop us. Don't miss this in-depth report on an all-new Babylon 5. You have transmissions holding. Match incoming signal. Full audio and video decode. Purple files accessed. What you are about to see has never been shown to anyone outside the break house. there in podcast land welcome to grade 17 of babylon 5 podcast a part of the front row network and npr illinois community voices we're a group of newbies watching babylon 5 for the very first time and a group of first ones who have been watching babylon 5 for better part of 30 years and we're here today to talk about season four episode eight the illusion of truth i'm scott and with me is emily dustin nicole mike and kevin and before we dive in to this week's episode, a reminder to check out all the links down below in our description, including our uh, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter links, so you can join the conversation there, as well as links to our YouTube, if you're listening to this on the podcast version, and if you're watching on YouTube, you can find our podcast link there as well. And we do also have our Patreon link where you can join and be a member of our crazy little whatever we want to call it uh, on discord where right now we are talking about our pets as well as talking about spoilers in the spoiler section that i can't talk about with our newbies here and if you can please 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 leave a review on either spotify audible or apple apple being the biggest one we actually did get a new review in and it is from uh dahofren I'm sure I'm mispronouncing this, but DeHofren says, first one from Australia. This is a really great podcast. I really enjoy the newbies predictions. Some are pretty spot on. I listen every week. We'll continue to. Great work. And thank you so much, DeHofren. And actually, we are the 95th top TV review podcast in Australia. 
I think we can do a little better. So you got to give us a little help here. Now, our buddies over at Yum Yum Pod are in Australia as well, too. So you should check out Ryan's pod as well. But be sure to share ours with all your Aussie friends. That'd be great. I, I was going to say, why didn't we at least do like a fellow podcast circle jerk of reviews? Like, where's our review from Ryan? I don't know. I guess he's not <laughs> good enough to leave us a review, Ryan. Hmm. <laughs> Brian, he's always giving us crap on Facebook. So <laughs> yes, interview the women are creepy and always say hi in a menacing manner. <laughs> Finally, too, thank you to our producers who are our Patreon members who pr- uh, provide the largest donation every month. They are listed down in the description below. Thank you so much for helping to continue to get this podcast going in any way you can. Help us grow by leaving comments clicking the like button, clicking the subscribe button, all that good stuff. Okay, that's enough plugs. Let's go in to our discussion on the illusion of truth. And I ended last week's episode saying that I had a feeling that our good buddy Justin was going to enjoy this episode a lot. So I'm going to go to him. We need a synopsis, bro. Oh, God, mother. Fine, Mike. Would you like to read us a synopsis before I toss it to Justin for his first impressions? Sure. Uh, ISN attempts to sneak a team of journalists aboard Babylon 5 to create a hack job propaganda piece, and they succeed because everyone is really stupid. I was about ready to say, this is the episode where John Sheridan proves once again he's an idiot. So, Justin, first impressions on the illusion of truth. Should I first buy off, some um, stock in yarn for a sec? Oh, sorry. Yeah, well, I just want to know if I was right or wrong. Did you actually like the episode? I thought it was a fantastic episode in a very infuriating way. <laughs> Excellent. This episode pissed me off. Honestly, like I shut off the episode in the same way that at the very end of the episode when they all just storm off and I'm just sitting there hitting my fucking button just to shut it off. Like that's <laughs> kind of how I ended this episode. And that's even watching it twice. It didn't get better the second time. What a hit job, man. What a damn hatchet job. Now, I thought maybe when this guy came on board, maybe when, when he's sitting there giving Sheridan all the cuss and fuss about some of us kind of want to give the truth as much as we can. We're not 100% on Clark's side. And then he just throws everybody right under the bus. But even, even as, like Mike said, they all walked right into it. They all bought right into it. And even, like, I've got thoughts on Garibaldi that I'll save for later. It's just an episode that really hit me, you know, considering the fact that right now we have people on TV calling immigrants poisoning the blood of America. And it just, just the way that people talk about aliens and, you know, the Clark regime talks about aliens in Babylon 5 and the way that people talk about immigrants on television right now, it's, that's, I think, what made me love to hate this episode so much so yes i mean you're right scott i thought it was a fantastically written episode i didn't realize it until the second time watching it that Stephen first directed it and it was a hell of a great direction about he even coordinating them watching the the cue to like commercials and stuff like that like the way it was filmed was fantastic it was it was a great episode it's just one that i think is going to stick in my crawl for a while just because of all the propaganda bullshit in it. So before we get started going with the other folks, because Justin brought it up already, I want to give a little special shout out to our YouTube follower. And I still know you're subscribed, even though you said you weren't going to. So to DGC2540, yes, we are going to talk about politics in this episode. And you're still going to hate listen. And you're still going to comment, even though you said you were going to unsubscribe. So hi. Okay, Nicole, first impressions. 
Yeah, this episode pissed me the fuck off as well. I wrote, this is so fucked in capital letters, and I highlighted it because, wow, what a hatchet job of a of a article. I mean, or a report. Like Justin said, it was filmed really cool. The way that they did everything was pretty neat, but that pissed me off. And don't even get me started on what I think about Garibaldi's comments because, man, he's been my favorite one of my favorites from the beginning and he made me mad in this one too. But yeah, overall, I mean, I think it was a good episode. It was a building episode. Uh, it was kind of needed to keep the wheels turning to what's going to happen next. I think there was maybe some foreshadowing in it, but overall, ooh, I was mad when it ended. It just made me real angry. Emily. So I think the storyline was really good, but I was just annoyed by this episode because they just walked right the fuck into it. And it was so frustrating because, like, that he fell for that bullshit was kind of astounding. Like, you really think this reporter's gonna come on to B5 having lied about who they are and what's in the case, so they already have a setup? They start out setting up security on B5 to look bad. And then you're just gonna let everyone do an interview? Like, are you that dense? <laughs> what are you expecting? I just, yeah, it was an great episode as far as like the writing and the plot but it was really really frustrating to watch mike first impressions um well i guess unpopular opinion time i actually didn't care for this episode that much it's tough for me to give a true first impression i mean i haven't seen the show in really really long time obviously but like I, I knew where it was going but i also felt like it was super predictable and it didn't push the plot forward it kind of just reiterated everything we already knew that was going to happen and like i said you know kind of like emily said i felt like i overall my my takeaway was that i was more annoyed with it than anything because every cast member every every character walked right into what was inevitably going to happen and then it inevitably happened and at the end of the episode i mean there there are all those negative emotions about how real world it is right now but also yeah i mean like i said i just just you take that with everything else that i just said about it kind of being predictable and and in the end i felt like i was just really really extremely underwhelmed kevin I do like this one, but it's very frustrating to watch. Um, it's just, it's interesting to know that Joe Straczynski got one of his starts in journalism. And from his words, he's seen the good and the bad of journalism. And this episode was all about the manipulation of truth. Um, and it is unfortunate that Sheridan didn't see this coming to the extent that it happened. But the situation with Garibaldi was pretty unpredictable to them to anybody really and so you know that was probably the most devastating part about the the hatchet job that you know the news crew did uh was that but uh there was there was others where it was just you know pure fabrication um you know the changing of questions to make something sound different but not unlike what i've seen on television at, at times i'm looking at you fox news so or worse so, um, yeah, you can send your hate mail to Kevin all you want to, but it doesn't make it untrue. Um, you know, this is, it's a very frustrating episode. I watched this a few weeks ago and I texted to the first ones about, and I said, I forgot how truly devastating the end of this episode is to watch Sheridan just completely broken to the point where, you know, Ivana storms out. 
and he cannot be consoled by Delenn, and he's just standing there looking into space and then finally walks over, turns off the, the monitor, and presumably throws things around the room, which is probably what I would have done. So, you know, it's it's a truly devastating uh, episode, but it is some of the best television that I can remember seeing, especially on this particular uh, uh, topic of propaganda, which we are inundated with on a daily basis. I probably fall somewhere in the middle. Uh, I'm not as far out as Mike saying that, you know, the episode wasn't good, but I'm also not a big fan of it. And for all the reasons you guys said, uh, what I don't like about this episode is it makes our characters stupid. And this isn't even the first time. Remember back in season two, when Sheridan had just showed up on B5, we had a now for a word. And they did the same thing. They did a hatchet job on Delenn, and no one learned their damn lesson. And of course, Sheridan tries to say, well, we need to know what they're going to hit us with, so we might as well let them do it, and maybe it won't be as bad as we thought. Well, no, it's worse, because you're stupid. But I do like the character moments. I think the the moment where Sheridan finds out that his dad's, um, his family home has been burned down, his dad's missing, uh, is huge. I do like that we get a little bit more of the Garibaldi story and we see what he's doing. And also we see how he's still kind of working behind the scenes to undermine Sheridan. And uh, Stephen First does a great job uh, directing this. I do like the use of shaky cam, which this is, again, mid-90s. That doesn't happen often. And I really do like the point of view shot at the end, although uh, that was written into the script that that where, you know, you're looking in through the TV screen and you see all this happen in that last scene. That was part of the script, but uh, first shot it really well. So, man, I'm torn on this one. It's 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 not a good episode because of our characters being stupid, but it's also not a bad episode because there's a lot of good stuff in it. So but let's go ahead and dive into the conversation. And Justin, you got your hand up. <laughs> I'd beat Nicole for the first time. Yeah, just to kind of follow up on something you said, Scott, it's the what kind of caught me with the end was just the silence in that whole scene where you don't hear anything. You just see Ivanova storm off. You see Delenn go over. Sheridan's got his back to the whole thing. Who knows how long he's been standing there? And she can't even console him. She leaves. And then finally he comes over. And the last thing you hear out of maybe about, I would say, 45 second to one minute kind of frame, it's just the, the beep of him turning it off. Like, it was, to me, the silence is what kind of got me with that whole scene more than anything else. But um, I was just going to kind of get Garibaldi out of the way here first, because to me, I still think he's just following programming. Because the one thing that when he was sitting there at the table and he's taking these side jobs, going after this job of the Hut statue that this one guy wants him to go get, and you know, and, and, he, and he's sitting there, he has that flashback of when he's sitting in the chair getting tortured or something's going on and just repeating over and over, you only work for us now. You only work for us. It's all about us. And so to me, I think that what he did when saying exactly what he said to the reporter was just part of the programming of trying to tear I think he's being programmed at this point just to completely tear Sheridan down and to sow discord on Babylon 5. Because even how the awkward when they kind of came together when he was bringing the reporter guy over, and I can't remember the reporter guy's name off the top of my head and I didn't write it down. But um, his official but, name is Douchey McDoucherson. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So when so when Douchey was brought over, with, uh, Lanier, and then even like you could tell it's just something cold still in between them. But what... I mean, I guess I wasn't shocked by what Garibaldi said. 
because you could tell he said some questionable things about Sheridan at the same time, but Garibaldi didn't say anything we haven't said on this podcast at one time or another. While it's it was, to me, upsetting to see Garibaldi say something who he, at one point, maybe not even considered a friend, but at least someone he got along with, none of it really shocked me because we've had this discussion on multiple episodes of this podcast myself. Emily. That was the point I was going to make is Garibaldi wasn't wrong in his assessment. I mean, that's how we have all felt and whether or not he should have said it, maybe he shouldn't have. I don't think that particular opinion was controlled by anyone else. I think that would have been his assessment of Sheridan, whether or not he had ever been captured by the shadows. I think that opinion is actually how he feels. Now, the decision to express that to a reporter who he knows is going to share that with the world might have been influenced by whatever is going on in his head. But I think it was absolutely how he feels. And it was kind of nice. Someone finally freaking said it because everyone around him keeps acting like that isn't the case. And I am finding that very frustrating as well. Nicole. Yeah, I was just going to say, I do think that, like I said in the last episode that something activated in Garibaldi's brain when he watched that message and then had it deleted or whatever. And I think that he's not acting on his own accord. He may or may not be speaking on his own, but he's definitely not acting on his own accord. Like, even if he felt that way, I don't think he would have said that because... Well, I don't think he would have resigned, first of all, and I don't think he would have said that publicly to a reporter because even though he doesn't agree with everything, he's still loyal to the to what they're doing. And so I definitely don't think he's acting in his own accord, whether or not that's how he feels. You know, it is what it is. But like, I really don't think that Garibaldi is acting on his own. And I think that they want him to cause some dissonance on Babylon 5 but also when the whole flashback of the you work for us you work for us well one I want to know who is us but secondly um why all of a sudden is he going out and searching for items for people like what I'm thinking or wondering is maybe these people that are controlling him one not only want him to fuck shit up on Babylon 5 but also maybe they're sending him out as their errand boy to find things like weapons or money or who knows you know what i mean so i kind of had that little thought in my brain like someone is controlling him sending him out to to find things and also to cause trouble so i i don't know what path or if they're all connected but like all of a sudden he's going to be one of those guys who goes around and collects things for people i just don't see that switch you know I, it doesn't make sense to me emily yeah and i i do agree with nicole like i think without the interference if he was going to say what he said to anyone he would have gone to ivanova and been like what are you thinking about this because i feel like he would have confided in her And I do absolutely agree that there is something else going on behind the finding. And especially now that the last person that we saw him talk to was trying to find a Drazi statue. And he was like, you know how mad they'd be if they found out you put a hole in this. (laughs) So that seems like there's definitely a search to find things that could um, cause issues between groups. Like if somebody has a stolen item and then it suddenly disappears And another group has it, you know, and people bickering about ownership or desecrating icons or whatever. Yeah, the whole finding thing seems very suspect. 
Kevin. There's an interesting aspect to this. And so I'll share with you that Jerry Doyle back in the day said, you know, that one of the things about the Garibaldi character was that he could be your best friend and your worst enemy, sometimes in the same sentence. And so whether, you know, his motivation for any of that stuff that you're all talking about is this or that, which I will neither confirm nor deny, what I will say is that his thoughts and opinions are fairly deep rooted. And so, you know, you're you're pretty spot on that he probably would have said them either way. But what I excuse me, he would have thought them either way. I'm sorry, that's what I meant to say. He would have thought them either way. But the extent of what he would or wouldn't do uh, is a mystery. Um, and it'll be revealed eventually. But it, his motivations are a mystery at this point. And that's, that's a fun part of, of, you know, this part of the season is that you're not really sure what's behind Garibaldi exactly. It gets even more interesting from here, and that's all I'll say. Justin, and way, by the way, to walk that fine line, Kevin, good job. Justin. Thank you. No, I'm proud of Kevin. Like, he did a good job, you know, kind of sticking to the good parts of it. But honestly, to me, it's, it, I mean, it feels like they're going above and beyond to try and set up Garibaldi to be some kind of villain character for this season. And I'm not exactly sure where or why it's happening but they're almost like going out of their way like he's wearing like darker clothes like they've done everything with garibaldi but throw a black hat on him and being like here's a potential villain right here on babylon 5 who used to be a good guy but now he's going to be a bad guy so I, i'm not really sure how i feel about this entire garibaldi kind of being a rogue dick on the station type storyline but i don't know i guess we'll find out later Mike, I agree with the assessment that this that Gary Garibaldi's character is suspicious, and we've talked previously about the fact that he had every right to be suspicious of of Sheridan and Lorianne, and he you know mentioned Lorianne here again to to the reporter uh, in his conversation with him. The thing about this that I would I would be as mad at Garibaldi as I am at the boneheaded move that some of the other characters have made. Um, you know, is that the thing that's different? from normal Garibaldi is that he talks to the reporter and he is a guy who absolutely would be smart enough to not do that. Even if he was pissed at Sheridan and you could absolutely see that he might be pissed at Sheridan after the way Sheridan has kind of brushed him to the side for, for the last little while justifiably, you know, I think Sheridan explained his reasoning to him, but it could definitely still rub Garibaldi the wrong way. And you have to remember that he and Garibaldi don't go back the same way that, Garibaldi and then and uh, Sinclair did, but even so, he he might have ruffled feathers about Sheridan. He might turn his back on Sheridan. He would absolutely not turn his back on everyone else, especially not Ivanova. If he had a problem with what Sheridan was doing, real Garibaldi would go and talk to Ivanova about it, and that is not what happens here. Instead, he blabs his mouth to a reporter, which is like the number one thing a security cat should never do right and so that is the tip where to me you know whatever they've done to him psychologically that is absolutely the goal of it is to have him come in and just be an instrument of chaos and and a thorn in everyone's side i'm gonna defend garibaldi just a little bit here because what we didn't see with him that we saw with everyone else was the original interview what they actually said now, that being said, he did use terms like the devil and a lot of other things. But I wonder what Garibaldi's original 
interview looked like because I mean we the Dylan and Sheridan one the guy even videotaped himself in a different room at a different time asking different questions so that, that is that is fair except I'll say there's this. no cuts yeah and I don't think real Garibaldi would have even sat down with the guy period. Oh, I'm, I'm not I'm just so, I'm, I said a little bit I'm going to defend him a little you. bit nah. Yeah, I get it. But I will say, as a recovering politician um, who has worked with reporters a lot, uh, for the most part, and J- JMS pointed this out too, and it's been mentioned he was a journalist uh, before he was uh, really a full-fledged writer uh, working full-time on that. Most reporters do their job well, and even if there is potentially a bias inherently, like what the guy from ISN said, which is true, we all have a bias. The goal is to try to make sure that bias doesn't come out. Some reporters will absolutely cut you all up and put your words in different contexts, and you'll have a 30-minute conversation and turn it into a 30-second soundbite that you don't like. It absolutely does happen, which again is why I'm so pissed at Sheridan for even letting it happen. Because he even he naively said, "Well, we didn't give them anything more than a few thirty-second sound bites." I, Dude, you said no one was going to stand in our so way. Ghosted. You you just hit the nail on the head for for why I full on don't like this episode, and and it's because of how dumb the characters are and the fact that not only are they dumb, but they hung a lamplight on it. <laughs> you know what I mean? To try to de- to have the characters try to defend their stupidness. <laughs> that, like that is the summary point of like it's not a bad, it's not a terrible episode. It's just not a very good one in my opinion, and it's because of stuff like that. It's a hard point to deny, Mike. I, I have to give you that. I enjoy the episode. I think it's a wonderful treatise on propaganda and the illusion of truth, as it is well named. But it's a very hard point to argue with. Justin, yeah, and I even said you, you know, at, during my first reactions that yeah, they they kind of walked into it and they threw themselves in the jaws of the lion on this one. But it's, it, I guess. From a different perspective, you know, one, I do have to question, like you all have, why he was even allowed on the station in the first place. Because knowing there's a goddamn blockade of all travel from Earth to Babylon 5, but somehow this guy has the clearance and the permission to go through, one, that should be raising some, you know, red flags to begin with. But especially after the conversation, when they had him in kind of the holding cell, I guess I'll call it, and... You know, Sheridan Ivanova come in and he's objecting to being threatened to be thrown out the airlock and all that. And he sits down with Sheridan and says, look, you know, some of us are trying to do the right thing. Some of us are trying to get, even though they have to, quote unquote, toe the party line. Um, but they're trying to get what little, what little nuggets of truth out that they can. The guy even admitted this may not look good for you but we'll try to get as much truth out as possible. So maybe we can gain some sympathizers to you and stuff like that. Even I kind of thought, okay, well maybe this guy's going to try and do the right damn thing. But, but at the same time, like, so I kind of have to think that maybe Sheridan thought that, okay, we can possibly weather the bad part of it to try and get a little bit of a, you know, whatever good or truth we can get out of it. And I think at that point, Sheridan was desperate. 
to not only maybe get find a way to get some news from home because he even said he's desperate to find any kind of contact with his dad or find out what's going on from home. So maybe I think that Sheridan was trying to say, okay, if this guy can kind of maybe play ball with us, maybe we can open up some line of communication and maybe we can try and get a little bit of our story out. It, it's to me, it was he acted on desperation and it blew up in his face. So it may not be wanton stumble into a landmine stupidity, but at the same same time, he should have known better. Emily. Okay. We all know I love Dylan and she is why I've stuck around this long, but I was so disappointed that she agreed to do this because she was the one who got eviscerated the first time on I with ISN. And for her to like willingly go through this again and think it's gonna be different. Like, why woman? You're smarter than this. Don't be convinced by this dipshit dude next to you. <laughs> oh, I, this is why I don't like them together. I feel like it makes her worse. Yeah, Emily, I know we've talked about this a couple times now, but I, I 100% agree with you up to this point. Now, I know what's coming later, and we'll see if it changes things or not for your opinion. But I, I, I think a couple of us have said, especially in season four, it seems like Delyn has entirely lost her agency to do anything on her own. And it's frustrating. We saw a glimmer of it maybe when Sheridan was dead for five minutes. But yeah. since then, she has just been on Sheridan's side the whole time. And she hasn't been able to do anything on her own. Again, it feels I, like gross, stereotypical 1950s yeah Ugh. so instead of being a badass she's a damsel in distress and it's not her character now i know the people who have watched the show before are screaming at their podcast app of choice right now saying but 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 this happens this happens and this happens yeah we're not we there don't yet. know that yet we're not there yet based on what we've seen right now in season four it's been painful for mm -hmm. me to watch Dylan like this so i completely agree with you mike yeah and i mean you kind of said it too like you could well believe that she was maybe coerced into doing this by Sheridan because logic and reason would tell her that if it didn't go well the first time when ISN wasn't blatantly taken over by the corrupt government, you damn sure shouldn't go through with it now. Now, I actually don't have much of a problem with the premise that Sheridan allowed the interview thing to continue. I think there's a little bit of good reasoning and just, you know, maybe maybe saying, look, we know this is going to go bad, but we might as well let the enemy show their hand. And you can argue i guess to a point that perhaps that is exactly what they did that the, the b5 crew learned a little bit at least sheridan learned a little bit more as a result of the uh broadcast than what he would have known before but you know was it worth it and in the i guess you can't put a judgment really on that either but i guess you know ultimately it comes back to just the execution of it it's like if you knew you wa willingly walked into this landmine uh hoping to get something out of it and then you just went about it so poorly like i don't it it, it kind of almost makes it worse nicole well that dan randall guy made a point saying you can either let us work with us or we're going to run the story anyways you know what i mean so i think that the rationale of sheridan allowing them to do it was because they were going to do whatever the fuck they wanted anyways. In this case, at least if they had some say or actually were willing to participate, maybe it would make them, you know, look better or whatever. Because realistically, if everyone would have just ignored them or been like, fuck you, no, I'm not going to talk to you or whatever, I 
feel like it almost would have been worse. Like they were purposely hiding something is how they would have made it seem. You know I what I mean? I can see that. I actually yeah. think that's a very valid point that at least it humanized them a little bit, if nothing yeah. else. But man, there again, like if that's your goal, like maybe don't use phrases in front of the camera. Like yeah. we'll make them understand. Right, right. And And I just feel like, yeah, I mean, they were going to do whatever they wanted regardless. So I think this was their attempt to try to minimize that damage. And it just turned out to be bad. But I feel like it would have been worse if they didn't go along with it. Maybe maybe somebody out there is like screaming right now that they've, you know, maybe they had every intention of being much cooler and savvier about how they handled the interview process. And then they're like, well, I've had a job interview where I went in and said this. <laughs> and just torpedoed my own boat spectacularly i'm sure it's happened but man i don't know when the stakes are this high justin does anyone have anything else to say about sheridan and delenn before i switch gears other things happened in this episode seeing none um, Go for it. moving forward um I just kind of want to make some comments about some of the other things that we saw during that broadcast that kind of caught my attention. And if you don't like anything I say, uh, you can send your hate mail to Justin at I don't give a fuck.com. The kind of some of the side stories during this whole broadcast, I think, were kind of very interesting about now we're dealing with a reconstituted Senate, which to me means a Clark rubber stamp, essentially because they weeded out anyone who may have any kind of opposition to Clark. And then um, the, what is it? I, I didn't write down the exact name of it, but it's kind of the Anti-Earth Activities Committee, the modern equivalent of the House Un-American Activities Committee led by Joseph McCarthy, um, who is a hero to some in the political world and a rightful villain to many others. But a lot of... Um, a lot of very close comparisons to that where they're dragging people in front of this committee and force them to name names of people who don't exactly agree with the Clark regime and stuff like that. They're rounding people up doing forced confessions like the one forced confession that they showed was extremely painful to watch. Like I almost had to like look away and not continue watching it because you could just see in the guys, whoever the actor was who played that guy who was like confessing to his quote unquote crimes of, you know, being pro alien and all this stuff. Like you can just tell it was so being forced, like some of those forced confessions from like Vietnam veterans who were captured in North Korea and being forced to admit to American war crimes. And you can just tell by like the looks on their faces that they don't believe a word they're saying, but they basically have a gun pointed to their head and being told to like say a bunch of bullshit that's not true and it's it just adds a whole new level to like what's going on on earth that you know i'm not going to name names or anything you y'all know what we're talking about if you're still sticking around you've been listening for long enough you know we're, who the shit we're talking about but god damn the parallels out of a show 30 goddamn years ago to some of what people are saying today even within the last 24 to 48 hours, people spewing the same goddamn bullshit of xenophobia and isolationism. And, oh, well, if anybody disagrees with anything that the regime is saying, they're obviously mentally ill. And they created some kind of bullshit Membari war syndrome to explain the fact about how somebody may be sympathetic to alien causes 
it's don't agree with me. Stop listening. Spew hateful shit about me on the internet. I don't care. I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. But anybody who says that this doesn't have any kind of modern tie-in or we can't see these steps repeating over and over again from a sci-fi show that was a long time ago and people who say that like sci-fi doesn't have any kind of political connotations and sci-fi should be apolitical really doesn't pay attention to a whole lot of sci-fi. And I would challenge a lot of people who do attack us online. I wonder how many of them actually think the Clark regime may not be all that bad. I wonder. I seriously wonder watching some of these episodes. Yeah, I'm Justin, uh, I think the the disconnect that I see in some fans, and it's not many, okay? We're talking about a smaller group here, but I see it on Facebook groups. I see it on Twitter as well is the comment, man, I just hope the Babylon 5 reboot isn't woke because we don't need any woke sci-fi. I'm like, where have you been since the 1920s? Yeah. Uh, Sci-fi on film and television. Sci-fi was woke before woke was a thing. Go watch The Silent Metropolis and tell me it ain't woke, okay? So sci-fi has always been that's the reason why we have sci-fi. It goes back to, uh, Justin, you're a big H.G. Wells fan. It goes a lot back into literature. The idea is you can't speak overtly about some things, so you speak subvertly about things using a sci-fi context. So, for example, my good buddy that I called out earlier in the episode said he was just going to go find a podcast that talks about B5 like the escapism that it is. B5 is an escapism. There's a lot of escapism out there, and if you enjoy it, knock yourself out. B5 is not that. This show is about something. And if you don't see that, either one, you're just not paying attention, or two, you are refusing to see it because you do not agree with what it's saying. Oh, Babylon 5 can absolutely be escapism if you're a blithering idiot who doesn't... I was trying to be a little nicer, Kevin. I'm not going to be nice about it. If you're a blithering idiot and you don't bother to try to understand the themes and the things that JMS is talking about in five seasons worth of writing, then by all means, have it be escapism. But uh, the rest of us are going to talk about something serious and have, you know, an adult conversation about it. I have used that very line on somebody a couple times on other B5 forums. Shh, adults are talking. Yeah. Hello, welcome to an adult conversation. (laughs) Sorry, Nicole. Oh, go ahead, Justin. And just one one thing I want to add, and I apologize, Nicole, but one thing I want to add real quick. They all want to call us snowflakes, but I've never seen a bigger snowflake in my life than if you approach someone of that persuasion and disagree with anything yep. they say. True. True words. You know, it's, sorry, you know, I guess, you know what, perspective is a lot, and I understand I'm viewing things from a certain perspective, but it's just what I see, and it's supposed to be a free country, and I'm supposed to be able to believe in what I want to believe, and I'm supposed to be able to say what I want to say, so, but when I say something that, people don't particularly like then all the vitriol and the hate and the condemnation comes up and i like like i said this this episode brought a furor out of me to where like you know what if you don't like a lot of shit that i say come at me bro which is why i think the episode is good despite the fact that it, it it does have the flaw that you know that we've talked about that it makes it makes sheridan and to a slightly lesser extent delenn look really dumb okay but this isn't the first time in science fiction or or any amount of writing that you know characters have looked kind of kind of dumb to 
you know have a larger story arc about um that's one of my my irritations which we talked about early in the season it's you know sometimes in a scene when you have to describe something that is complicated somebody in the scene's got to be an absolute idiot and be like okay i don't get it how is this going and this is like the global example of that where okay yeah sheridan looks like a complete idiot for okaying the whole thing and delan doesn't look great for taking part in the interview and this and that but the bottom line is we wouldn't have a story about it and the story is so dang important at least to me that it's it's worth overlooking that to me but you know you're welcome to have your own very uh very viable opinion about it but this just happens to be mine that i would rather have this story than not have this story but they're imperfect beings and this just illustrates that they're imperfect beings they're gonna make mistakes yeah and i can't wait to see how they adjust and recover yeah nothing nothing is stopping sheridan from taking taking a shot and missing you know we all take a shot and miss uh, it happens all over the place where you you have some you know arrogance or you have some uh, not well thought out idea about something how something is going to go and sometimes it just happens that way. But I, I frequently see uh, idealism get in the way of realism. Sure, yeah, and you know I, it doesn't it didn't seem to me in the episode that Sheridan believed the garbage race as well I'll try and get some truth out there it was more like he was convinced all right well come at me bro let's see how bad it is it probably won't be that bad well it was but I'm hoping he didn't he didn't fall for the other bullshit which was oh well I'll I'll try to work something in yeah he worked a lot of shit in but none of it was good Nicole has been waiting patiently. Sorry, Nicole. <laughs> Nicole, okay. go ahead. Sorry, well, Gags. My original point is going to come second, but Justin kind of started hitting on what I was going to say in response to what you guys were talking about was about how they can't always make the right decisions because nobody's perfect. And Scott, you had said something earlier that it humanizes them, right? So when people make mistakes and people make decisions that aren't great and they have to learn from them, that's just the human process. That's you know, I feel like it humanizes them further. Uh, people are saying that Sheridan has a holier than thou second coming vibe. Well, guess what? Sheridan just made a huge mistake and is going to learn a big lesson from it. So um, I definitely think that, you know, they are, well, Sheridan's human. Delenn is not, but you know what I mean? Like you, nobody is going to be perfect to make the right decision all the time. So I think this is going to be a learning thing for them. But what I was going to originally say was that Justin kind of started talking about it a little bit, but what um, really kind of made me feel angry was at the end of the report, basically saying that Sheridan was mentally unstable. And that really made me mad because for one, even in a TV show from 30 years ago, they're talking about one, people disagreeing or having a different viewpoint on life as being mentally unstable, but also it doesn't help the stigmas of mental health. And like, here's the thing, you can't blame everything on mental health. Like there's going to be actions that people do that are caused by maybe mental health issues, but then there's going to be actions that people do that aren't, you know what I mean? And the fact that they made it out to look like he was just some sort of mentally unstable lunatic and, oh, we shouldn't scorn him. We shouldn't do this. We should empathize with him. Fuck you. Like that made me so mad because if you think about it, this guy has spent his life serving 
the earth and like you know gone to war and he's a decorated veteran and like it was just so disrespectful and it really pissed me off perpetuating that cycle of we can't talk about mental health or people have mental health problems because of this and this is part of the course of the clark regime because we saw this when crazy nazi lady showed up yeah we don't have homeless and if we do it's because they have mental issues and they're not seeking a job right. and stuff right this is how they're defining people if you're not supportive of the clark administration you have a mental disorder yep does and it sound to justin's point does that sound familiar to anyone yeah it's just so fucked oh put me in coach you ready to play mike so so, <laughs> so nicole just touched on and i'm going to take it in a slightly different direction but she just touched on the point that <sighs> The whole thing with the journalist, the hit piece, the propaganda didn't make me that mad because I'm desensitized to it, I guess, at this point. The part of the episode that did really get my goat was the very end when the ISN, I don't and news anchor, I guess, uh, brings on the talking head, Dr. Dr. Indiri who starts spouting all of his clinical bullshit. Uh, and, and that really drives me crazy because it's not even a necessarily a say governmental thing but it's it's a societal thing where we have suddenly adopted this perspective of you know some some person with a phd makes some wildly controversial opinion and enough people agree with him that he reaches this like celebrity status almost or where now all of a sudden you're like you're reputable and we put you on the news and now what you say has weight and blah 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 it it's gotten into my head recently because we've had a string of i'll say public speakers come through town and and do talks at the local theater uh you know i'm not gonna name any names because fuck these people i don't want to give them power but there's there's the one of these uh there's a war on masculinity talking heads coming to town soon i had to like all of a sudden it was in my face everywhere i looked that this person was coming and i was like who the hell is that and i went and looked it up and was immediately furious <laughs> like oh cool it's great big they're gonna sell out a theater and have a bunch of other bigots and a-holes pay money to this person to go listen to them echo chamber their thoughts to them and that is what the doctor at the end of the episode was very reminiscent of to me and i was just like ah oh, yeah you know they don't even bother to get doctors anymore. They'll go out and have like a UFC fighter or a comedian come on and reiterate their talking points on Fox News and these other networks now. They don't care. There's there's nothing about reputable. All it is is getting somebody else to reiterate the point you already agree with. Uh, but boy, that ticked me off. <laughs> and I do... I do also want to switch gears, just backtracking just a little bit, because Kevin said something that I that actually struck a, a chord with me, and it's the idea that in a formula of television, because it is, at the end of the day, a television program where it's very true. Like, if you're trying to make a point, somebody in the scene maybe has to take the back seat, play the role of the dummy so they can get it explained to them for the sake of the audience. And, and I do forget about that sometimes, that there are sort of these unspoken rules about television where things like that do have to happen in order to get a point across to the viewer now maybe they can do it better you know than they than they did it they're better executed more cleverly than they did but it made me think about this episode from a, a, a thousand yard step back and i almost want to ask the class like who was the main character in in this episode and and for me as i'm thinking back on it and it's been a couple days since i've rewatched it but i'm like the news reporter was probably the main character 
in this episode, which is really interesting and different um, in terms of that television formula. You don't see that a lot of times where they have a one-off episode with an entirely new character who's the focal point. And so, yeah, like, if, I guess what I'm getting at is like, if the main character of the episode isn't Sheridan and it's not the land and it's not Dr. Franklin or Garibaldi or anyone else, then, you know, does it make it forgivable that everyone else is a blathering idiot? No, but it does make a little bit more sense why it's written that way. So one of the reasons why next generation was, is has not held up well in some ways is because more often than not, it was Troy who was the idiot in a scene that had to have something explained to her. And it's like, no, she's, she's an officer. She went through, um, you know, the, the Academy, she knows stuff, but no, you got to make the female character, the idiot in this scene and forget the fact that she's been the, the idiot in multiple episodes and scenes, because you have to explain it to the audience. And it seems like the savvy writers will spread that around or even better make it so that everyone in the scene understands it, except the audience. And they just, you know, kind of plow through the explanation so that they can get to it. But that always really irritated me about about that because that that character was so much worse because they made her look stupid at, at a lot of turns in that series. Justin, to go off of Kevin's point, one hundred percent agree with you. Mansplaining is not a new thing. It's been going on for decades, if not a couple centuries, where everybody just assumes the female in the room is the least intelligent and doesn't have anything to do. So it's do I do I think that JMS is is any in any way misogynistic? No, but I just think that's the common trend through a lot of media is just assuming you know the vulnerable woman in the room has to be a damsel who has to be rescued eventually at one point or another. But um, and then piggybacking off of something that Mike said, but the fact that this episode touched you the way that it did does it not make it a good episode? Like, honestly, like, it it, it it affected you. Like, you just kind of admitted it. It affected you. Shots like, fired, like Mike. You, like, <laughs> like, yeah, I'll, I'll come at you, bro. Like, I love you, but you just admitted that it really kind of affected you in yeah. a way. So it's it may not be as bad of an episode as you thought it was. Maybe. Maybe so. I'll, I'll, I'll give you that I don't think it was necessarily bad television. It just didn't, as an episode, didn't hold up. And that's fair. That's fair. It's okay to let him not like something, Justin. <laughs> I got your back, Mike. I don't like lots of stuff. I mean, just kidding. <laughs> uh, to back up, Mike, I don't like it when characters have been written one way for f nearly four years now, and they're written a different way to Kevin's point earlier as well, too, to move the plot along. There's no reason why these guys should have made this dumb a decision to let this guy on after what they've experienced already and after what they've seen ISN become, because they are watching ISN, we've seen them watch it a couple times. They know exactly what this group is doing. They know exactly what has happened before when the group wasn't controlled by a dictator and they still let them on. The folks we saw through seasons one, two, and three would not have done that. And here they did it just because the plot required it. And that yeah. is dumb to me. It, and actually, I I will I will argue that be just because it got an emotion out of me, that emotion being revulsion or anger somewhere in between, doesn't necessarily make it good TV. Because they could have done the same thing in five minutes by just coming out and like shouting a racial slur and then disappearing. You know, I mean, it doesn't make <laughs> that it's a well written 
thing that's happened to somebody's rage, which unfortunately that's we're learning too, as a society is it's all too easy to tap into people's rage and have that override their logical reasoning. So you I, don't have to make something smart. And I, I've said this before and I'll say it again. I am nowhere near a writer that JMS is. I think he's great. And I'm just throwing this out there. How I would fix this episode is let him get on board by smuggling his camera on board and then halfway through getting concealed shots and everything, then they have to be interviewed because he's already on board. He's already got the stuff. Then I think it can still have the exact same turn. He can still chop it up and make it worse for him. But at that point, he's got them by the balls as opposed to, yeah, let him on board. I think that would have fixed it for me. Kevin. So funny behind the scenes thing with this. I'll just spoil it now and say that uh, Stephen first will direct again on Babylon five. And he pestered them for a couple of years before they finally got tired of listening to his pestering and let him do it. But they didn't want to open the floodgates with letting actors direct like Star Trek did, which, you know, Berman has said he kind of wishes he hadn't done that with Star Trek because there there were floodgates that opened. But but Frakes is the best director they ever had. Well, that's that's absolutely true without without question. But, you know, there have been other, you know, other actors of Star Trek that were phenomenal directors. Uh, Roxanne Biggs Dawson was fantastic. LeVar Burton was fantastic. You know, they, you know, they, for the most part, you know, 99% of them were great. And of course, you know, with, with Babylon five, you're going to see a lot less of that. You're not going to see much in actors directing from the, the primary crew here. And of course he doesn't show up in the episode. He just is behind the camera. But the, the funny behind the scenes thing I wanted to get to was that, um, they all wanted to kind of show him that he was accepted by walking out on him. So they all kind of got together and decided, okay, we're going to throw a holy hissy fit and pretend and act on, on set. And I guess the one that was leading the charge and the one that threw the biggest onset hissy fit was Peter Jersick because he was really good friends with first and he wanted to give him a hard time but in the end show him that he was more than more than accepted Stephen first took it in stride and had fun with it in the end but um you know he did a great job on this episode and he comes back to a couple more which is fantastic but um he uh i'm glad they gave him a shot at it because uh he he clearly was good at it justin now this doesn't I, I guess I don't think this goes into spoiler territory, but do any of the other major cast direct episodes for, uh, before the end of the series? Like does Bruce or Peter or Jerry or does anyone else direct episodes here on out? Do some research, Scott, but I, I don't think of any any major you know ones, maybe one or two, but not very many. I'm scrolling through right now, so if y'all give me like one minute, I can find out for you. Because I have a list of directors right here. There's several Vehar episodes coming. Yeah, uh, Stephen First will direct. Uh, Three. The, yeah, he'll the next one he'll do is the season finale of season oh, four. Okay. Uh, which is one of my favorite episodes. I'm gonna throw it out there. It looks Stephen First will do another one in season five. Ooh, it's a good one too. He he gets good episodes after yeah, this. Yeah, he does. So he was a good director. That's kind of cool to know. Uh, no, the the only other person that is not a director that usually directs is J. Michael Straczynski will direct an episode. 
Oh, really? Okay. And I won't say what episode. No, that's fine. I wasn't asking for particular details. Yep. I just so, but Stephen will be the only actor. Okay. To, to do one on the show. All right. No, I was just curious how many other actors got it because, like, if this is if this is a good like kind of benchmark for Stephen's work, I can't wait to see what else he does because I thought just he did a fantastic job. Yeah, I especially liked, you know, and whether it was in the script or whether he made the decision, it still has to be well executed. And that final scene, you know, from the television perspective is fantastic. The other one that he mentions is the the funny, very quick little scene with Lanier in the elevator where he bumps into the floating camera. And of course, oh know, no, he headbutted it, Kevin. I right. was just going to bring that up. Right? Yeah. And <laughs> why did you know, they keep bumping him in the head? God, well, that was did you did you watch him multiple times? Did you watch the the, the two camera operators are behind them because they're operating right. the camera with those yeah. tablets? And the first time it bumps in his head, she looks at him like, "The fuck are you doing?" <laughs> so they're the, the camera operators are like, "What the fuck is going on?" <laughs> well, and, and first talks about that. He's like, you know, the funny thing is, you know, Mumi did a good job with it because they're they're obviously not actually there. I mean, he's yeah, he's he's play acting with something that doesn't exist in his perspective, and still doing a good job with it. But that was that was one of the scenes that first talked about that he enjoyed the most was just that little moment there of you know levity in a very fairly heavy episode. Nicole. Yeah, I had a couple things I wanted to point out that we haven't talked about was one with Lanier headbutting the camera. I thought that was hilarious. But uh, the other thing I just wanted to bring up was I loved that quote that Delenn said about how the heart has no boundaries on a map or whatever, and the heart does what it wants, basically. I really liked that quote, and I wrote that down. I thought that was really cool. Romantic in me, what can I say? Yeah, I was grossed out by it. (laughs) (laughs) We can go into the reasons why Emily and Nicole are so different in so many ways when you give us the 50 subscriptions of YouTube and we all get on the couch for therapy. We're not there yet. (laughs) Good call adding the for therapy. Yes, for therapy. Okay, let's go ahead. I think we've covered everything, guys. Emily thinks otherwise, so Emily, go I got one more thing. Did anyone else feel like the reporter was very Morden-esque? Yeah, the way he looked, the way he acted, like there was just it was really reminiscent mm-hmm. of Morden. I, is 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 the is he like Morden or is he a sleaze like Morden? I think or is he a meat sleazy. puppet? Tomato, <laughs> tomato. Oh, I don't know. Here we go. Get out the red yarn. No, he he had that he had that Morden factor about him. That's just it. Anyone who's sleazy or scummy from now going forward is the Morden factor. That's. Yeah. Yeah, just assume if they have greasy hair uh, and they wear a shady. suit. Yeah, shady count shady. and Morden Factor. That's... Or if they're blonde and vivacious, they're a Nazi. The, I suppose that is an unfortunate part about the costuming in this series is that, you know, the human men, they all, if they're not in uniform, are in the B5 casual uniform that all look exactly the same, which... It's kind of unfortunate if you ask me. There's not very much variation. Yeah, that's that's not true. It still looked like Zach was wearing a green jumpsuit covered with a trash bag. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, it absolutely or, does. Or Can we talk about badass Zach though? Because yeah, talk about badass. He Zach. didn't even wind up on the poor Zach. He shot at the guy and still doesn't wind up in the TV report ever. <laughs> right? No one cares about Zach. But I will defend the whole costuming again. This show was filmed. 
in a hot tub factory. You're right. There is no budget. You're absolutely right, Scott. <laughs> you you could not be more right. The, just, the, the cast would actually... Scott, he's right. That's ah, bad for all of us. The, the, the cast would talk about how they would go out to their parking lots every night, uh, the parking lot every night, and their cars would be covered in white dust from the factory. And Eesh. reading that as you will, we lost it was half the of the 80s. I say they get rid of the casual, you know, suit jacket, weird looking outfits and bring back more of those 90s, ugly, hideous shirts that are awesome. <laughs> yes. That's what the Henleys. I'm all for the Henleys. Or just yes. the button downs with all their crazy prints. Bring it on, baby. <laughs> That looked like a bad acid trip. Right, Emily, can I now move on to questions and predictions? Mm, yeah, you can go ahead. Thank you, ma'am. Okay. So for those who are joining us for the first time and haven't left us yet because of our bashing of certain media conglomerates, uh, we are going to ask our newbies if they have any questions uh, after watching this episode because they haven't watched anything past this. And then also give us any predictions they may have of what's going to happen next. So we'll go to Emily first, questions and predictions. Um, I don't really have a lot other than I'm assuming Sheridan's going to try to figure out where his dad is. He's not just going to let his dad go missing. I don't think he's going to leave B5 to go do it, although he might. Who the fuck knows at this point? But I feel like he's going to send someone out to go try to find his dad. And that's all I got. Nicole, questions, predictions. Who the hell is Garibaldi working for? I want to know. Who is controlling him? Uh, that's my biggest question. And then what's going to happen now that this hit piece was done? Like, what's next? Uh, and then prediction-wise, I really have no idea what's going to happen next. So I don't have a prediction. Justin. All right. Buckle up, Buttercup. All right. So is question one. Is the reporter guy going to actually try to help on the back end? Was the hatchet job just a smokescreen? Because I think maybe Randall gave so much cred to, like, the Clark regime that maybe he can actually maybe help try to feed information about B5 on the backside. So maybe this was, like, a part of the plan the whole long, where, like, maybe part of me thinks... Randall was telling the truth, like he wants to get some truth out there, but he has to kind of toe the party line as much as possible. Prediction two, this will end up causing some more false flag operations on part of the Clark regime against Babylon 5. My third prediction, and I will 100% say right now, Garibaldi's being controlled by Psychor. People have had questions about who's pulling the strings. Psychor is pulling the strings. Bester has lost control of Psychor, and I think that's maybe what might shift Bester to being more on the B5 side. And then uh, I think part of the whole smokescreen with this whole investigative journalism thing is because one thing we didn't really mention during the episode was the cryo units that they focused on during the broadcast. I think Earth, I, I, I think this whole thing was part of, they want to go after whatever shadow tech is still in those people in the cryo units. So I think part of this whole report thing was trying to find where these people are being frozen who have this shadow tech still embedded in them. And then I think the Clark regime will find a reason to try to attack Babylon 5 
in order to acquire that technology. And then I guess one last question is how will the whole bullshit human Membari ge genetic program play out? Like, will that actually become a thing within the populace where they're going to accuse Sheridan and Delenn of trying to turn everybody into half human, half Membari people? So that's all I've got for today. And we'll go ahead and leave our newbies there for this week after we've jettisoned them out the airlock. Kevin, Mike, and I will stick around and answer these questions and predictions in our Beyond the Rim segment. And next week, we're going to have our first. TV movie, Third Space. Now, for our newbies, a little bit of context. Between seasons four and season five, Babylon 5 moved networks to TNT. And when they did that, TNT wanted to bolster up B5 before season five would start. So over the transitional period, they uh, produced several movies. And this is the first one. So it's going to be a little bit wonky, okay? Because this was actually filmed after season four, before season five. But in continuity, it pops in right here. So if it's kind of a little weird, like, why, why does that person look like that? And what is it? It's because it was filmed several months uh, after season four was filmed. So just keep that in mind when you're watching it. But continuity-wise, this is supposed to be right here between... The Illusion of Truth, and the episode after this. So we're going to watch Third Space, and we're going to discuss it next week. So until then... I'm we're not going to get stripped naked and jettisoned out the airlock, okay? <laughs> actually kind of looking forward to that. I'm not going to lie. I'm Just, good. I'm good with that. Justin, <laughs> we all got our kinks, buddy, and this is not the podcast for that. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> until next week. When maybe Justin shows up naked, I don't know. Uh, I've been Scott, and with me has been... Emily. Justin. Nicole. Mike. And Kevin. And this is actually going to drop a few days before Christmas, so whatever you celebrate, happy holidays to all of you, and we will see you next week. Have a good one, everybody, and stick around if you want spoiler talk after the credits. Enjoy Bye. your holidays, Bye. everyone. From Iowa, hail Satan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that's why happy, we love Mike. Happy Christmas, Hana. Wants a cut to you. Actually, uh, Festivus over here. I got a lot of problems with you people. <laughs> to all my atheist brethren, just enjoy the presents. Have fun. Enjoy the food. Yeah. And to all of our Jehovah Witness listeners, hi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Stop ringing my doorbell. Leave me alone. I don't want to do that. Shit happens. I, I'm happy. I'm happy with the presence and the booze. Carry on. Do you want to hear probably one of the most fucked up things I've ever said to a Jehovah's Witness? Oh God! Oh no! Boy, do I. Yes. We yes. Do. When I was like, I don't know, 18, 19, uh, my friend worked at a gas station. And I would go there and hang out with her while she was working, because, you know, that's what we do when you're teenagers. And this guy yep. came in, and he goes, excuse me, ladies, have you found Jesus yet? And I said, well, I don't know if I found him, but I was screaming his name last night. <laughs> <laughs> the look on this dude's face, I will never forget it. Thank you for listening to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast. You can find all the places to listen to, and watch this podcast at anchor.fm slash gray17podcast or youtube.com at gray17podcast. We want to hear from you, so join the conversation at Facebook, Twitter, 
Instagram, YouTube, or Patreon. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review where you are listening to or watching this podcast. Gray 17 is not affiliated with, and the podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by Warner Brothers or any other owners of the Babylon 5 copyright. All clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. The opening and closing themes are available from Falling Matter on YouTube. And what's out there? The rim. And beyond that? The truth. Welcome back to Beyond the Rim. Again, this is a spoiler section, so if you have not watched past The Illusion of Truth or don't remember what happens next, you should sign off now and join us next week. If not, we're going to dive into our newbies' questions and predictions, and we'll start off with a question that Cole dropped early on in the episode, and that is, who is controlling Mr. Garibaldi? And I'll add in there the prediction that Justin has is that it is Psychor. I'm going to hold off on the Bester stuff for a minute, because I feel like he fell off a cliff at the very end there. But <laughs> who is controlling Garibaldi is Nicole's question, and Justin does think it's Psychor. So and guys, not Bureau 13. Not so. Bureau 13, that's true. I- I even texted Mike and I was just like, oh, he was so close. And you missed it I, by that much. <laughs> I, I thought he was going to ramble so long and hard that I was like thinking about getting up to go get a, a snack. Oh, uh, God. <laughs> but it, yeah, he, he reined it in. So Justin, love you, buddy. <laughs> when he when he listens to this a year from now <laughs> i mean he practically cracked his knuckles before he started so i was like oh boy all right <laughs> but you know he's he is correct psychor yeah. is the one and in fact if you go back and watch the episode where we see garibaldi in his little prison at first time the guy is wearing a psychor uniform it's very clear he's wearing a psychor uniform with a breathing mask they didn't but where, that. yeah where, where justin does fall apart is he says Bester has lost control of Psychor, and this will bring Bester alongside B5 in the new fight. And it actually is Bester who is directly controlling Garibaldi. Yeah. So he missed it by this much. Yeah, Bester at no time has had total control over Psychor, but he definitely is the one pulling the strings with Garibaldi, and he makes that abundantly clear later in the yeah. season. Yeah, and it gets interesting in season five when he wants to beat the Nikes out of Bester mm-hmm. and gets stopped by none other than Captain Lockley for <laughs> uh, no one's satisfaction. Yeah, and Bester definitely wants to control Psychor. He wants to be in charge of all the telepaths. He's just not there yet. Next up, what's next after this hit piece? Yeah. Not, not much until we get to the actual, you know, War. Yeah, I think what we do find is a ISN and Clark are definitely controlling the media. For example, you didn't hear them mention the Shadow War at all in this report. And we will find out in a few episodes that people on Earth and Mars just don't know about the Shadow War because it was not reported to them at all. Yeah, all they the, know is, go ahead. I was say the, the reporter, if you listen to what he actually says, and I'm actually he said a military campaign kind of foggy on this, he alludes to the fact that he is aware that they did something, but he yeah. doesn't, he kind of talks about them as, you know, unknown warships. So he doesn't really even go into details. Like they know anything about what they are, or where they well, came from. Yeah. And he was, he was talking about the Mimbari cruiser when he said that. Are you sure? Yeah, I mean, like, he yeah. just completely misrepresents what, you know, mm-hmm. the, 
the league ships are there for, what the White Stars are there for, you know, why they're being refitted, repaired, all that stuff. It's it's all for some, you know, horrible cause, you know, and has nothing yeah. to do with the Shadow War because they don't know anything about it and he doesn't say anything. But my guess is the reporter knew about it. Yeah. The reporter is clearly dirty. So, mm -hmm. you know, he wouldn't that wouldn't fit into his narrative or the president's. So why talk about it? Exactly. I think that's the point. I think their goal here with this is if news trickles out that there's been fighting along the, the non-aligned worlds and all of that, they can say it was B5 running a campaign against these other races, mm -hmm. as opposed to it was a different race. Because Clark obviously knows about the race. He's been trying to get Shadow Tech. We will find out he has been using Shadow Tech, but he doesn't want anyone else to know about it. So at that point, I think, and to to Mike, to your point, they were literally showing the Mimbari cruiser, and he said an unknown warship when well, they showed that. No, I I actually completely missed that, and I thought for sure they were referring to one of the white stars that was. Well, same idea because there was a white star next to it, so you you may be right because they were doing some repairs and stuff too. Yeah. But to that point, I mean, there I think ISN is trying to play this as any kind of conflict is being spearheaded by aliens and B five not by any outside race aside from that sure uh but yeah you guys are right i mean the, the the hit piece won't really come back except for again we know ISN's kind of controlling the story but uh we will find out that uh what we did learn in this piece is true that sheridan's dad is in hiding which brings us to another question and that is uh or actually a prediction Sheridan is going to figure out what happened to his dad. And here he goes again. He just kept talking a little bit too much. Oh, actually, this was Emily. This was Emily, actually. Uh, he probably won't leave B5 to find out what happened to his dad. <laughs> Whoopsie. The <laughs> reason he gets captured you, you and tortured. you got to pay attention to, like, Miss Cleo and the Long, Long Island psychic and all this. Like, just think of egg, and then you're right. Yes. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. Which, which leads to one of my favorite episodes, which I'm blanking on the name of it right now, but it's the guy with the sandwich. It's always the guy with the sandwich. But yeah, so he will try to figure out what happened to his dad, and at the end of it, he will go back to Earth to try to save his dad, and it will get him captured. The guy with uh, the sandwich, but not with yellow mustard. Exactly. I mean, honestly, I'm surprised. Like, Emily didn't... Are we, are we done with questions? Are we in the prediction? No, I'm right skipping now? around. I'm sorry, because I'm trying okay, to categorize. Okay. I'll, I'll wait then. Yeah, because the other, the, the other questions we have, and this one, my goodness, Justin, you are far too trusting. Is the reporter going to try uh, to, on the back end, to help like he promised? No. <laughs> no. No. He, he is getting... He is... The reporter is getting his talking points from, you know, the... Uh, from the president's office... Um, not unlike Fox News getting the morning talking points uh, from, you know, the RNC. Hi, Sorry. DCG. No, there's no goodness in that guy. Like, he's he's a used car salesman. Oh, well, um, yeah. Sheridan should have seen seen this whole thing coming, but he didn't. Well, and some of the, the best lies are kind of tied into a truth. He even says most reporters quit ISN when they figured out what they were doing. He didn't quit. And there's a reason why he didn't quit. Yeah. Right. And it's not uh, because he's trying to hide the truth. I don't really think that part was honest either, because I bet they didn't quit. <laughs> no, it's true. <laughs> yeah, but we, but we will see. We will see um, the reporter who was at ISN when it got taken over. We will see her come back. Right. And in fact, she's actually uh, uh, a friend of the pod. So hopefully, we'll be able to talk to her sometime. But she but does say, you know, hey, you know, there was some horribleness in here. Some of us were interrogated. Some of us were mm -hmm. killed. So, 
there was a lot of horribleness, but some of us made it through and we're back to report the news. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Last question. How will the human Mimbari genetics lie be taken by other humans? I don't remember this ever getting mentioned again. I, I, it gets mentioned by the Mimbari, and we'll see that in the episode after Third Space Atonement. Oh, okay. okay. The Mimbari, yeah. the Mimbari are, are concerned with mixing the races. Okay. And that starts the whole Mimbari civil war that we have for a few Good episodes. Call. But I don't think it really comes up in the earth because, again, they're just getting spoon fed all this information, and I don't, I, we don't really hear about it anymore on the earth side that I know of. Mm. So uh, next up is our predictions. We've already talked about Sheridan's dad. Next one is this will cause more false flag operations by the Clark administration against B5. Clark's not going to have all kinds of opportunity to do that. They're just going to take the war straight to him. Mm-hmm. And he's uh, he's already, I mean, we, we were told this last episode, he is weaker now, now that his shadow buddies are gone. So he is desperately trying. I mean, like, we heard it. He allowed curfew to go past uh, up to nine o'clock because of a holiday. Congratulations. That. Wasn't that crazy? It's like, <laughs> are you telling me that their curfew has been 7 p.m. and there's not riots in the streets? For 250 some odd days. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> So it's it's he's he's desperately clinging to power, so he doesn't have much ability to go and screw around with B five. Uh, he will a little bit, and we'll see some more stuff here and there, but nothing big because he's just trying to keep Mars on uh, on point and keep Earth from overthrowing him as well. Next up, we already talked about Garibaldi and the Psychor. So Earth wants to get to go after whatever Shadow Tech is still in the telepaths and he's talking about the frozen telepaths this report was a mission to find these people the clark regime will use the tech as a reason to attack b5 um the only one theory yeah the only one that has a voiced interest in that technology is bester and that's Mm -hmm. really for freeing all of the telepaths but most importantly to free his his love Yep. And it, Whether she feels the same way is an open question, but whatever. Earth won't find out about these guys until they wind up on their ships and start taking over their ships during the fight. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Bester knows about it. Now, there is a drive to get more shadow tech, but not the telepaths. Mm-hmm. This, I think the reporter, literally because Franklin was dumb and answered his comm while the reporter was there. Again, people being stupid in this episode. Yeah, uh, he figured out though. Oh, there's there's cryo tanks. Let's go find those. Yeah, you'd have thought they would have been a little bit smarter about keeping that away from the cameras. I mean, you have a what is it, five mile long space station that you could be doing well, stuff in or not doing stuff in. I will say though, if Psychor is paying attention, we did get the two names on the cryo. One is actually Bester's lover. The other one is the name of a producer on the show. But if Psychor is looking at them, going, we know those people. Hmm. They've been missing for a while. But aside from that, there's not much there. Well, and Franklin knows the reporter heard something. So then to just flatly deny it so that it looks even worse is just so dumb. I I know I've beat this dead horse before, but I hate when our characters are written into into a characterization that they don't usually follow just to move the plot along. Franklin should not be that dumb. Sheridan should not be that dumb. Delin should not be that dumb. And they're dumb. Yeah, well, and I mean, you could go into a lot of things about like the lack of security surrounding these high value popsicles. And... Yeah, the dude just walked in. We're in a secure yeah. location. Yeah. 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 It's so at the end of the day, I mean, it moves the plot along. It is a fun idea episode that obviously got us talking for over well, an hour. Yeah. Just... And I 
am surprised actually because I didn't think we would go this long. I I did want to bring up a point. Uh, um, kind of kind of going back again to you know Kevin kind of pointed out the formulaicness of of the the television episode, right? And that certain things happen for a certain way because the audience you know needs to know. Um, I kind of wondered about this too because we've had we we've had episodes of B five that have challenged viewers with things that they have not seen or experienced before. And I don't know the answer to this, but I mean, have we, do you think uh, that this kind of, um, that this style of an episode uh, has, has happened in another series before this? Was this a trailblazer the same way uh, that the, you know, um, parents rights episode was? MASH did a couple kind of like this where it was it was told from the reporter or the news um the news story perspective. So, you know, we've talked about MASH being a trailblazer in a couple mm-hmm. of different ways before that you I know you pointed out before Mike. You know, and I was going to say if any if any other series touched on this sort of sort of particular propaganda slanted thing i'm like it was probably was mash i they just did. can't remember the episode they did it you know early where it was a hit it was kind of a hit job or it was more of a prop not a hit job but a propaganda job where it was like oh you know the happy warriors and everything's great over here and yada yada and then later on it was more of a balanced perspective in the series um but I can't, I, I'm not familiar of a sci-fi application for a story like this before. Yeah, they may, there may be one or two out there, but I can't think of them. So yeah. I think this is absolutely to your point, Mike. I think this is something that most people on TV, especially sci-fi fans, haven't seen. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just I bring it up because it's kind of a credit where it's due sort of thing where, you know, I may have been overly unimpressed by the episode because it felt predictable and yada 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 but i guess you know i just wondered about going back in time to 1997 or whenever this episode came out like was this something that audiences hadn't really seen before and it sounds like maybe they had seen it before but it certainly wasn't common and it certainly isn't you know i think television in general has reached a i don't know what you want to call a level of sophistication beyond today what it had back then in the 90s commonly and so you know i I guess maybe i'm spoiled by the quality of content that's available for me to go consume now right but i just want to keep in mind how how much of a trailblazer b5 was yeah well and not just the quality of the content but how readily available yeah um you know as long as you've got you know the right streaming service subscription or whatever else or got a few bucks to throw at amazon or whatever you know you can go and go and get whatever you want so if one of our fans says hey this show did it you know we can run out and the chances are we could probably download what what they throw out there and maybe watch it but yeah man (laughs) the 90s you know having or the even the 80s having three four channels and if the president was on and your night was shot (laughs) yep well on that note we'll go ahead and wrap up this week's episode and again next week we'll be talking the movie third space which i'm interested because i think i've only watched this sucker one time in my life and i wasn't really i I wasn't really impressed yeah (laughs) so we'll see what happens from what I understand, talking to folks, aside from in the beginning, which everyone seems to enjoy, this is the one that is hated the least. So we'll see what happens. Okay. Now when we get to River of Souls. Oh, good God. Uh, mm. <laughs> <laughs> so until next week, when we talk third space and see how it is, I've been Scott and with me has been. Mike. 
and Kevin. And remember, folks, to please like, subscribe, follow, and check out our Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, most of us are on Facebook, uh, having great conversations over there. And then we also have Blake and I are holding down the fort over on Twitter. And then if you want to get into real deep discussions with the hosts about general stuff and spoiler stuff, you can join our, our Discord by joining our Patreon. So until next week, we will see ya. If you really hate us after this episode, feel free to leave a comment. We will definitely engage you, and it will be fun. Hi, DCG. I know you're still subscribed. I know you are. Bye. We have an open door policy. And an open airlock policy.